now boarding. Hello and welcome to the Terror and Travel Show, a podcast where we tell you a hometown horror story. And then outline how you can visit this region and experience parts of the story for yourself. I, as always, am Eric Monroe-Schwan. Nice to meet you. I'm Blair Allison. Eric. Blair. Today, we had our first ever listener request. She gave us a, a material that has so much to go off of. I have eight pages of notes. Oh my god. <laughs> I, I've never taken that many notes before, and they are all jumbled. I think I've maxed out at four pages at one point. So I am ready to get into this mega mystery. Major thank you to Whitney Wegman-Wood, our, uh, our friend, friend of the podcast. Uh, I'm just going to call her www.ourfriendworldwideweb. Um, <laughs> That's incredible. <laughs> thank you for the suggestion. Uh, I had a really good time researching it. It's 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 kind of wild. I'm ready. We're gonna chill today in Missouri, a small town in Missouri called Union. Take us back a bit. Mm -hmm. May of 2001. Boomer time for Bionicles. Just a great time for Bionicles. The conversation I was having this morning. What are Bionicles? <laughs> We're going to get into that later. This might get cut, but sorry, keep going. It's a Lego product. Oh. <laughs> uh, that were like little bio robots, essentially. I got you. Cool. Mm -hmm. I'm so glad I know that now. <laughs> we're in Union. We're in Union. It's May 2001, and single father Stephen Lachance is running out of time. The lease on his tiny apartment is almost up, and he is in desperate need to find another preferably larger home for himself and his three growing kids. Oh no. Eliza, who is 13, Eli, who is 12, and Elliot, who is 11. Oh, they all have E names and none of them are Eric? <laughs> <laughs> none of them are Eric. Oh, big miss there. Big they're, no, miss. they're EL names, specifically. Okay. So yeah, you can imagine this growing family, uh, all the kids are within three years of each other. Like, that's some tight quarters. Mm -hmm. So Stephen has spent weeks answering every ad in the newspaper he can find for a rental property. And finally, he finds an ad for an open house. It's a pretty old house, but mm -hmm. looks to be in good shape. And there's plenty of room for his kids to spread out, which like, that's ideal. That's what he wants. Yeah. So that Sunday, Stephen and his daughter Eliza made it to the open house. And we're kind of marveling at how big this beautiful home is. All the original woodwork is intact. The living room was decorated with picturesque cherubs along the tops of the walls. Like it's a beautiful, beautiful house. Ooh, I love it. I would kill to live there from that description. They, yeah, they were all about it. And Stephen said that the landlady showing off the house was, was kind of odd. She was an older lady. She behaved like she was showing off a museum rather than a ready to live in home. You hate to hear that. Yeah, regardless, he was quick to fill out an application and handed it to her. And she responded saying, you understand the responsibility of living in an old house such as this. And he's uh. like, uh, yeah, of course. I'm going to go have one of those cookies in the kitchen. Okay, bye. Mm -hmm. So a week goes by. And he receives an excited call from the strange old landlady telling him that she had selected him and his family 
to be the new tenants of the old home. More like the new victims. Possibly the new victims. So, th- well, at this point, he's just thrilled beyond belief. And he yeah. asked, he's like, okay, so cool. Can When can we come by the house to sign the paperwork? I want to show my boys the house. They haven't seen it yet. And she's like, mm, we're going to step on the brakes there. We're actually going to meet at a restaurant and sign the paperwork instead. And so he thought that was weird, but he was in, like, you and I have both been in that situation where yeah. you're kind of in no you're in no, no position place. to question it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you're pretty, if, de- pretty desperate. If she wants to meet at Chili's, you're meeting at Chili's. Ooh, yeah. Get a molten lava cake while we're at it. Hell yeah. So the next day, everything was settled. And since the following weekend was Memorial Day weekend, you know, good old three-day weekend, mm-hmm. that's the weekend that they moved. Beautiful. Packed up their small apartment. They got going. So that Saturday, they're all getting all their stuff unpacked. And Stephen's father is actually there helping them as well because they live locally as well. And as Stephen and his father and Eliza were moving the last of the boxes from the moving truck, a passing car slowed down and the driver rolled down his window. Mm. Hope you get along okay here, he called out and then sped up and drove away without another word. Mm, Omens. <laughs> yes, foreboding. <laughs> yeah. It, but it wasn't until the next day that Stephen actually noticed that there was something odd about the house that he hadn't noticed when he was looking around before. On each of the interior doors, there were those old fashioned hook and eye latches, you know, that, uh-huh. that locked the door usually for locking on the inside and keeping someone out. But these locks were all on the outside of the doors, seeming with, like they had the intention of keeping something in, like mm-hmm. the bedrooms and shit. Mm-hmm. And so throughout that first full day, there were kind of some more weird instances. Mm. Uh, so first, Stephen had a hell of a time trying to hang up this picture in the living room. Specifically, it was a portrait of two angels. Eliza really liked the cherubs, and so she was like, well, this angel picture will frame the cherubs really nicely. Let's hang Mm -hmm. it here. And he was like, cool. So he hooked it to the wall three different times, and each time he turned away, the picture crashed to the floor. What she didn't know was them some demon cherubs. (laughs) (laughs) And he finally had to give up his attempts when he heard her calling to him from outside on the front porch. From there, she pointed him down the street, and he looked in that direction and saw an old man walking down the sidewalk towards their house. But right before the man reached the property line, he crossed the street and continued his walk on the opposite sidewalk without ever glancing their way. They don't like walking in front of our house, Dad. Isn't that weird? Stephen's like, "Mm, maybe they're just weary of new neighbors. I don't know, I'm not gonna think too much into it. But he kept an eye on the sidewalk for the rest of the day and he noticed the same pattern over and over. Anyone who would walk by right before they got to the property line would cross the street. Oh, I really, real like, there's been a sense of dread that's been setting in my stomach over the past few minutes that uh, I feel like I'm about to thoroughly get fucked. Yeah, and... Honestly, I'm really just paraphrasing Stephen Lachance's own words because there are several websites that have this detail out. He's written a oh, book cool. about it as, as well, which I'll get to. I'll get uh-huh, to yeah, later, yeah, yeah. but I mean, he has this all detailed out and I'm literally, I'm just paraphrasing. The next day, Sunday, after church, was yard work day, much to the little family's excitement. Yeah. Who doesn't love yard work day? 
my across the street neighbor would be great friends. She's 71. <laughs> her name's Corinne and she loves gardening. She made sure to tell me so. Turn the fuck up, Corinne. Shout out Corinne. She's out there right now. Hell yeah. But yeah, their 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 tiny little apartment only had a small front patio and here they have an entire yard at their disposal. And while his youngest son Elliot hurried down to the basement to grab a garden hose, Stephen noticed that the trees were starting to lose their leaves like and like they were about to fall despite the fact that it was May. He took a mental note of it to mention it to the landlady, ask her about it, but then he heard Elliot screaming from inside the house. Mm -mm. He bounded into the house and found Elliot wide-eyed and shaking in the kitchen. He was, poor little Bean was so scared he had wet himself. Buddy. The boy told him that something had chased him up the basement stairs. Well, what chased you? Stephen asked. I don't know, Daddy, but it was big. The basement, of course, was immediately checked out, and all that was found was the discarded garden hose and that had been dropped during the boy's mad dash up the stairs. And so the incident was kind of ruled as an overactive imagination of a child, much to the boy's dismay because the two older kids teased him for the rest of the day about the monster in the basement. Oh no, they're gonna get their comeuppance, I have a feeling. <laughs> <laughs> now the rest of the day passed happily without incident. Stephen pretty much forgot about it. And then so did Monday. But Stephen could tell that his kids were starting to feel a little uneasy. I couldn't figure out, like, uh, uh, sources differ on when this actually happened, but there was one night when the four of them were watching TV in Steven's room, and Elliot, again the youngest, shakily announced that he needed to go to the bathroom. Mm -hmm. The general response was, okay, good for you, go. <laughs> like, you don't need to announce yourself. And. Elliot was like, no, but can somebody go with me? Dad, can you come with me? And the two oldest, of course, continued to tease him. And Stephen was like, everything will be fine. Like, I know this is a new place. It's dark. It's kind of scary. But the only way you're going to get used to it is if you if you go and do it yourself. Piss boy doesn't want to piss by himself, huh? You don't want to pee pee on his own. And I've seen an interview with grown up Elliot talking about this. And he was like, I so I was like, OK, I put on my big boy pants and I was going to be brave. Mm -hmm. I was going to be yeah, a big yeah. boy. So he left the room by himself, slowly padding down the dark hallway. And unfortunately <clears throat> for our little Bean, he did not make it to the bathroom. No, Elliot. He was, I don't think he wet himself again. I didn't hear any accounts of that, but he was greeted by a disgusting, chuckling clown blocking his way. Fuck you, Blair. Elliot, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry this happened to you. Elliot <laughs> fucking went through it here, okay? Oh, God. Okay, keep going. Uh, so he had to use every ounce of bravery his little body could muster, turned his back on the clown, and stumbled back to the rest of his family. Panting and sweating, he told his dad what he had seen. Stephen tried his best to calm Elliot down, tried to be patient with him, you know... Maybe he was just emotional from the move, from his parents' divorce, their mother leaving them. You know, Stephen assumed this was all a response to just, like, the recent trauma that his kids had endured. But 
While Elliot was in hysterics, Eli and Eliza remained quiet, as if they somehow believed their youngest brother. Then came the last week of school for the kids. No, they picked up their normal family routine. They all left the house together. He dropped them off at school, went to work. But each day that week, they would come home to find every light in the house turned on. And of course, mm. like every parent, Stephen blamed his kids for leaving the lights on. And they're like, but no, the fuck we didn't, Dad. You were with us. We did not leave the lights on. So when Friday of that week came, the boys waited in the car that morning while Stephen and Eliza went from room to room, making sure all the lights were turned off. Sure enough, when I got home, he was pretty spooked when he saw that they were all on again. Maybe it's just a neighbor who wants to waste your electricity. Yeah, his first reaction was, of course, that someone had broken into the house. And of course, he immediately told his kids to wait outside, search the premises, no one there. Yeah. But his kids had come inside in the meantime, and Eliza yelled from the living room, Dad, it's cold in here. And when he met her in the room, he froze, despite that he was dripping with sweat with his mad dash around the house. He describes a temperature drop of around 30 degrees. That's a lot of degrees. Mm -hmm. And he didn't understand it fully, but he knew there was something else living in his home. A jolt of electricity went up his spine and covered his arms in goosebumps. Then, as quickly as it came, it went, and the room returned to its normal temperature. They're about to have a wild what I did this summer story. <laughs> oh, poor babies. I told you I had a lot of fucking notes. I'm. My life is already ruined. <laughs> <laughs> Thank I'm you. I'm in shambles. <laughs> So after that incident, Stephen had his father come back over, his father who was a contractor, uh, to come out and look at the issue with the lights. And he couldn't find any sort of electrical malfunction that could be causing the lights to turn on by themselves, especially not all the lights at once. Mm -hmm. But he did find something kind of alarming in the basement. Mm -hmm. In the far corner of the basement was a rusty shower head and drain next to a filthy sink. His father said, that looks like a butcher shower. Fuck. If you don't know what a butcher shower is, they were used by farmers and slaughterhouse workers in the old days to clean themselves off after. Yeah, that sounds right. You know. <laughs> but I bet it was an animal that this person was butchering. But that was the first time Stephen felt its presence. And Sunday night was the first night he saw it. As his children sat in the living room, chatting away, doing their thing, Stephen looked to the doorway to find a dark, shadowy man. Dark smoke seemed to be emanating off the figure, swirling around it in a cloudy mist. Shadow hat man? Shadow hat, oh, shadow hat man, come on back now. <laughs> the figure took several steps into the room and vanished. So Steven's internally panicking at this point, but mm -hmm. not wanting to freak out his kids because his kids didn't see it. He was the only mm -hmm. one who saw it. He calmly suggested that they all go out for sodas and visit their grandma. Come on, y'all. Let's get out of the house. Let's go get a 
frosty chocolate milkshake. When they start heading out of the house, the screaming began. A sharp, <laughs> loud howling, <laughs> sounding like a man in pain, so loud oh. that dogs in the neighborhood started barking. Oh, not the dogs! The dogs! Now, in a full-blown panic, Stephen hurried to get his kids out of the house and into the car. And just as he's making to back out of the driveway, Elliot says in a shaky voice, Daddy, the basement monster is standing in the upstairs window. Oh, fuck off. Yeah. Against his better judgment, Stephen looked to where his son was pointing and once again saw the black figure in the window watching them escape. So the kids stayed with their grandparents for a week. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, and that actually had been planned because uh, Stephen's job took him out of town a lot. And so he actually had to go out of town uh, for a week for work. And he was pretty grateful that they were all going to be having some time away from the house to calm down from what had happened. And of course, he's he spent all this time kind of rationalizing everything. Like, maybe it didn't actually happen. Maybe we're all fine. Yeah. And so the following weekend, when they returned to the home, he started poking around the shed out back that he he hadn't explored at all yet. And he found a good amount of personal items that did not belong to his family. Uh And when he called the landlady to ask her about it, she told him that she'd had several tenants in the past leave stuff behind who she could never get to come back for. And she told him that most of the past tenants never stayed longer than a year. And it seems by now that all three kids were kind of freaked out by the house. The boys had all but abandoned their own room and were sleeping in Stephen's room every night. And then one night he was awoken by Eliza at his bedside who was trying her hardest to remain calm, but she was trembling. The three of them kind of grumbled uncomfortably as she shoved her way into the bed next to her brothers. And Stephen's like, okay, this is becoming a thing. Yeah. <laughs> probably, probably made an internal note of, we as a family need to have a talk about boundaries. <laughs> it's hard to have boundaries when you're being abused by paranormal entities. Truthfully. But then the next day, Stephen asked Eliza about it. Like, what made, what made you come in here last night? And she reluctantly told him that she had woken up to the sound of her closet door opening. So, and Eliza doesn't like, when she was a kid, she was really afraid of closets, Mm -hmm. just like the darkness of it and thinking there was a monster in there. So she was kind of freaked up. She got up, closed it, made sure that it latched properly Mm -hmm. and got back in bed and she heard it open again. Mm -hmm. So she was gone from that room. And the rest of the weekend, was pretty normal until Monday. And by this time, his kids were no longer scattered around the house doing their own thing. They preferred to stay together, mostly in Steven's bedroom. And they were in there that day, and he was on the phone with his mother in another part of the house, just talking about whatever. And more than once, he kept hearing this loud rattling noise as if like all the inner doors were being shaken. And he hollered to his kids to knock it off kept talking to his mom. But the rattling kept going for a few more minutes, and again, he shouted at them to stop. Only this time, Eliza pissed in response that she wasn't doing it. She was sitting in there reading, and the boys were asleep. This realization 
brought an unnatural stillness to the entire house. Stephen again felt the dramatic temperature drop and the same electrical charge running up his spine. A stench he could barely describe filled the air. And then, boom! The house began to rattle and shake violently. And the disembodied screaming began again. Only this time, it was accompanied by the screams of a child. And Stephen did not recognize the voices belonging to any of his children. Oh my children. god. Oh my god. But then he, hear, he heard Eliza shouting for him and banging on the other side of the bedroom door. He shouted into the phone for his mother to come pick them up, and he hung up as he heard thundering footsteps down the stairs headed for the master bedroom. He bolted for the room, determined to reach his children before that thing did. And he made it. But whatever was causing the chaos had secured the door firmly. Stephen had to repeatedly slam himself into the door before it finally gave and he could get to his kids. And off his frantic instruction, Eli grabbed Elliot and beelined towards the front door. And Stephen had to all but drag Eliza from the home as she stood just frozen in terror. The small family piled into the car and parked themselves down the street, still in view of the house, waiting for Stephen's parents to arrive. But from their spot, they could see it. The thing through the windows, moving through the house, searching for them. I'm out of breath. <laughs> I'm shitting myself. <laughs> this sucks. This sucks in real life. Unsurprisingly, they never stayed the night in the house ever again. Yeah. The children never came back, and mm -hmm. Stephen himself only came back a handful of times to get their things, always during the day and never by himself. And every person he brought with him bore witness to activity, be it a scream or whispers or pounding around upstairs, whatever it was, was just pissed. And I'm going to read you a quote direct from Stephen himself because... I just think it's well-written and yeah. I didn't want to paraphrase it. So, quote, and this article was written in 2005, by the way. I still drive past that house every once in a while. And when I get enough nerve, I look up at the upstairs window and it's there, watching, waiting, angry. Sometimes it's screams still wake me from my sleep. It's infectious scream, creeping into my dreams, turning them into nightmares. I still don't sleep very well. In my dreams, I see a faceless man standing in that basement, washing away blood from his naked, blood-covered body, grunting, panting, breathing. The breathing you'd hear when you were alone with it in a room. The breathing you would hear when you knew it was there. Heavy, labored. Breathing. I'd like to personally apologize to this whole family and say that you deserve better. I think it's time to go live with grandma. <laughs> so that's the most well-known story of what is called the Union Screaming House. There actually is um, an episode of Discovery Channel's A Haunting about mm -hmm. this house and about Stephen and his family and about the next family that lived there as well, but I'll get to that. Uh, I think the, it's in season three. It's called um, Fear House. Another family had to live there. 
Oh yeah, I'll get, I'll get to that. Union Screaming House also sounds like a really good emo band name. Oh, it so does. But before I get into the next family and the paranormal investigations of the house, I'm going to talk a little bit about the history of the home. So the land where the Screaming House was eventually built initially belonged to Captain John T. Crow of the Missouri Militia. And when he married, his wife Minerva brought with her from Kentucky the many people she kept enslaved. Mm -hmm. Though nothing is confirmed, there are rumors that Minerva had, quote, improper relations with one or several of the men she owned. Fuck Minerva, uh, fuck, fuck Minerva hardcore. And... It's rumored that that could have been a contributing factor to her death and the deaths of many young men, quote, working on the property. But there's really not a lot lot to back this up. I tried looking for it. I really couldn't find anything. But knowing history, that doesn't seem that unlikely. And again, fuck Minerva. Fuck Minerva. And not long after her death... She didn't live too long. She was 29 when she died. So Thank goodness. Not long... After her death in 1874, uh, Captain Crow sold the property. And the Screaming House was eventually built in 1931 on top of what had once been the slaves' quarters. The land was on what is now Union City Park. And there's a massive nursing home close by that was once a pauper's house. And it was used as a hospital during the Civil War. And as a result of all these things, many mass graves were dug around the city, and one of them was close to the Screaming House. So it might not just be the Screaming House itself that's cursed, but the entire land. It's said that in 1974, a woman who lived on the next street over murdered her husband with an axe before taking her own life by way of gunshot. And it's said that on a separate occasion, a man died by suicide in front of his young nephew, also by gunshot, in a house across the street. Residents of the neighborhood avoid the house, and many claim to get physically ill if they get close enough. Um, gonna, gonna throw it back to our Disneyland episode. You remember when our guest Eliza was talking about the reason that you get a house with so many ghosts in it is because spirits are attracted to like energy? Yes. I kind of feel like that's what's happening with this house. Because mm-hmm. there's just a lot. Yeah, 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 absolutely. So the next family to move into the house after Stephen Lachance and his family GTFO'd mm-hmm. was Linda Marsh, her husband Emmett, and their daughters. Mm-hmm. Um, and Stephen actually, not long after they moved in, Stephen actually had a dream about the butcher, the bloody butcher in the shower. And he was trying to put the house behind him, did not want anything to do with it. But then he he felt, he just felt the need to reach out to whoever was living there now and just like talk to them. Mm -hmm. And so he did. So during the time that Linda Marsh lived in the home, she and Steven actually held weekend paranormal investigations. And yeah, and kind of not kind of invited the people of the public to come in and there was actually a a paranormal group that formed because of their um because they would come to this house called paranormal task force and on their website each member gives a testimony to their experience about the house 
So people who have investigated the home call it almost an addiction, like they had an addiction to the house. They just kept coming back because so much would happen. Uh, you know, like the shit in the basement, scratchings on the walls, people, uh, I think Linda was bit at one point. That makes me want to vomit. Yeah. Straight up. Gregory Myers, who was the president of Paranormal Task Force, called it an EVP candy store. Um. Yeah, they got a lot of EVPs up in this place. The main entity that they came across in this house was named Bob. What is this Twin Peaks ass bullshit? Take me to the candy shop. Fucking. Uh, so he's basically your run of the mill poltergeist. Uh, apparently, Bob can like run up onto the roof and would like, when Steven would poke his head out the window, Bob would growl at him. And whenever they would do investigations in the basement and come up, Steven at one point kind of joked that, like, I don't like to be the last one going up because I just feel like he's coming after me. <laughs> and of course he probably was. <laughs> what if I just went up last and the ghost chased me? <laughs> what if everyone else went behind me and then I was safe and you guys are not? <laughs> I don't think Steven would do that. He seems like a pretty stand-up guy. Yeah. I visited his Twitter, by the way. Dude's an LGBTQ ally for days. Steven's really turning up, like, writing books, supporting the queers. We love him. We love an ally. We're a fan. So along with Bob, they also believed that there was a little boy who lived in the house. And if you'll remember, with the screaming, oh, there was also yeah, the sound of a child. Yeah. During one particular night investigation, the group sat in the living room when Linda felt the presence of the boy. And she offered for the boy to come sit with her. A few moments later, she felt his presence sitting in her lap, his energy completely harmless. And then one of the people holding a thermal camera said that they saw a separate entity, one that was dark, large, and ominous, moving in the direction towards Linda. Someone said, it's come for the boy. Immediately after, Linda said the boy was gone. No. Yeah. From that same investigation, a lot of really disturbing pictures were taken, uh, including, uh, this one kind of sucks. Uh, they all suck, but this one super sucks. Um, a baby in a christening gown hanging upside down from the tree out front. No, thank you. Yeah, and other people have actually seen this with their eyes. <sighs> it's like, it's, it's almost... I mean, this is all literally surreal, but it's surreal how every part of this house seems almost intentionally designed to be the most horrific it could possibly be, and the most off-putting. This is, it, Bob is, in my mind, Bob the Butcher is dark energy Bob the Builder. The complete opposite of Bob the Builder. <laughs> Can we kill it? Kill it? <laughs> Yes, we can! Okay, sorry, so this baby's hanging by a tree? Yeah, the, mm -hmm. so that sucks. Um, more pictures from that night include what looks like fire coming from the windows. And one that's what especially- the fuck? Yeah, one that's especially disturbing that I've actually seen the picture of is what they call the gathering photo, which looks like a large group of people with torches coming from behind the house. Shut the fuck up. 
one of the faces is looking directly at the camera with a face of pure hatred. I can't breathe. <laughs> I'm so pressed right now. This is like the fucking photo in The Shining. Like, uh, this, this, I hate this. I hate every part of this. I did not expect you to be so effective, but I'm really glad that you are. But I also want to go? Like, I don't, like, the worst part of me is like, but what if we went? What if we kissed in front of the Union Screaming House? <laughs> I'm going to just let you know why you don't want to go to this place. Uh -huh. I can. So, Gregory, president of the Paranormal Task Force, uh, was one of many people to have brought energies home with him. Oh, no. Okay, yeah. No, I don't want to go. So he and his wife both kind of had, like, like clairvoyant uh, mm -hmm. abilities that they could sense that there was a small haunting in their home, but it was, cool. it was pretty benevolent. Nothing like nothing major. He was like, okay, mm -hmm. cool. These ghosts live here. So do we, whatever. So his home that was once home to light, if not friendly poltergeist activity was now filled with just darkness. And he describes mm. it as a battleground between good and evil. At one point, a wooden clock that was off the wall, that was on the wall, went flying into the sink 10 feet away. Their dogs would run from rooms. And uh, they had an autistic son who mm -hmm. at one point pointed to something and said, bad man. Buddy, I'm so sorry. And one of the dogs came in front of the boy and started growling at whatever yeah. it was, protecting protecting the child nothing like a bond between a boy and his dog we love dogs <laughs> so tracy another woman in this group who i think is a founding member said that this paranormal group kind of found a family with each other at the screaming house you know they formed as a result of being at this house together all the time Aww. and but according to her their relationship over the course of six months just deteriorated. They all had something follow them home. They started having marital issues, mental health issues, just like all sorts of problems. And she said, the interview I watched was kind of depressing with her because you could tell she was like genuinely upset. And she said, they just turned into not nice people. Oh man. And it was just as a result of the oppressive nature of the house. Like they just all turned on each other. While this is happening, Linda, who was living, the one living at the house at the time, was also deteriorating. She wasn't really showing anyone, but people close to her, Stephen included, could tell. that, And she was having suicidal and homicidal thoughts. Oh, no. And Stephen realized what was happening, and he had, it took all the strength he had, but he had to go and, like, and just remove her from the house, like Good. convince her to leave. Mm -hmm. And she stayed in a mental health facility for a little bit, just kind of rehabilitating. And she actually had to work with a Catholic priest to rid her of the evil. Like they, yeah. they think that she actually had a severe attachment. Uh -huh. But yeah, there was that. And then she, her family left and they finally started to like pick themselves back up after they'd been separated from the house for a, a amount of time and according to Steven you know this was back in 2001 and then I think 2005 was when they were doing these investigations but since then you know who knows how many families have lived there and none have stayed very long at all mm 
Uh, and the landlady, of course, is just dead set that it's not haunted. Like she's just like yeah. shutting everything down. And it's like, you know what? I don't, I don't know. But I can't fight this battle. <laughs> the Roman Catholic Church uh, has actually deemed the Union, Missouri haunting a classic case of demonic infestation, oppression, obsession, and possession in a 156-page document. Damn. The Roman Catholic Church recognizes it. That was a lot of different shuns they're recognizing. Yeah, absolutely. Obsession. At the very end of the episode of A Haunting, Stephen says that the entities there seem to take on a person's worst fear. His youngest uh-huh. son, Elliot, is afraid of clowns. Uh-huh. His daughter, Eliza, is afraid of closets. You remember her closet? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, boy, howdy, do I remember. His own biggest fear is not being able to reach his children, which is exactly what happened to him on the night that they left for good. These poor people deserve better. (laughs) You know what else I found kind of... What, Blair? What? So... Fucking... Fucking lay it on me. The clown, right? Yeah, the clown. I don't like clowns. They're one of my biggest fears. But you will remember a, a sweet little clown by the name of Pennywise. I Blair is shifting so much in her seat right now, and I feel like she's about to just absolutely obliterate me. Yeah, I'm gonna fucking annihilate you in just a second. Yeah, I so know Pennywise, Pennywise. Right? He. What does he do? What does it do? takes on the form of a child's worst fear manifests as that this entity is named bob yeah pennywise the dancing clown i don't know if it's touched on in the movies but they it's talked about in the book a lot pennywise sometimes goes by the name of robert gray yeah and he lives and sometimes called and sometimes calls himself bob gray lives in a house that's haunted. Mm. Uh, Hey, Stephen King. You fucking plagiarized this and we're coming after you. Lawyer the fuck up. (laughs) (laughs) Just kidding, Stephen King. I respect you. No. Oh, this... So, yeah. That's basically what I have. The one last thing I want to say... Oh, that's all you have? That's that's it? (laughs) That's it. The one last thing I want to say is, so you know, it's obviously pretty similar to Amityville. That's yeah. kind of what it gets compared to sometimes. But over the years, as I've gotten older, I'm pretty sure that the Amityville shit never happened. Like, mm-hmm. I'm just not a firm believer in it anymore. It just I don't because, know a ton about it, so... Yeah. I trust Because the Lutz family talks, you know, said it happened to them, but then, like, no one else who's lived in the house since has said anything has ever happened to them. Mm-hmm. But with the Union Screaming House, not only are these two families talking about what happened, but these all the paranormal investigators all have stories about it. So, like, you can't sit and call all these people liars when it's just... I mean, you can, but I've, you'd be a bastard. Yeah, you'd be wrong, I think, in my opinion. 
It's just like, it seems like there is something real strong in this house and it's icky and I don't want to play. Yeah, this has been the worst. Um, <laughs> thank you what so much. What are your much. final thoughts? <laughs> I don't, I, I don't, I truly don't know. I, I guess, yeah, like you're commenting on the fact that so many people lived in this house and all shared very, very similar experiences. The fact that this is like a network of people who have all experienced this provides a, an air of credence to it that uh, hits home pretty hard. I think any entity that can take on your worst fear is just uh, unthinkable. And just fucking hate it. I fucking hate it. What if we just talk about what we can do in the area other than go to this fucking shithole of a house? Let's go for it. Missouri! Otherwise known as Missouri, as my grandmother who was born there calls it. Missouri's nickname is the Show Me State. I don't know why. So 24th state Show population. Me why. A, a um, population of over 6 million. Capital is Jefferson City. Biggest city is Kansas City. Abbreviation is MO, which we will come back to later. If you want to, if you, you know, if you want to go to Union and not go to the house, you do have a lot of options. You've got state parks, a Six Flags, farms, nature preserves, wineries, just a whole host of fun. I like Six Flags. Yeah, who doesn't like Six Flags? But I think we'd have an enjoyable time touring the historic downtown riverfront in Washington, a city in Missouri, which, can I just say, we really need to reconsider uh, the trend of naming cities after other places or other cities in the world. (laughs) Like Paris, Texas, and California, too much for me. There's a Paris, Tennessee, too. That's fucked up. Missouri, specifically, has quite a few of these, which we will be getting into. But... They got a city named after a whole other state. It's crazy. And soon you'll see also, like, a country. As described on their website, the distinctive 1818 German heritage settlement located in the heart of Missouri wine country is a town and area steeped in the deep historic roots. But there's an abundance of cool shops which you can check out, including a Country Living General Store, which specializes in Missouri food, Neighborhood Reads, love to support a local bookshop. It was established in 1898, which is crazy. Or no, oh, sorry. Shit. It's housed in a house, which was built in 1898. Oh, okay. Alvino Tasting Bar, where you could taste some olive oil or have a glass of wine. And a, a store that's just called Nuts and Fruits, too. <laughs> Take me there. Throughout Missouri, you'll find a lot of, like, agritourism shops and establishments to tour. So if that's your bag, you got it. Now there's more than a respectable array of bakeries, coffee shops, delis, pubs, breweries, wineries, as well as Italian and American barbecue restaurants. But there are a few places which have particularly fun names, which I want to just highlight. Dairy Delight. Hmm. Who doesn't love a Dairy Delight? And I certainly do. They, they apparently have one of the best burgers in Missouri. The Fairy Tale Cookie Company, where all your cookie dreams come true. <laughs> Happy Apples! 
which sells candy apples, apple cider, and just plain old orchard-picked apples. Aren't these things and just whimsical? They're just so fucking utterly whimsical. Swimming in whimsy. Pickney Bend Distillery. And this is kind of even more fun because, uh, as the website says, Pickney Bend Distillery Company in New Haven, Missouri, celebrates the legend and lore of a vanished town and a stretch of river where at least five 19th century steamboats were wrecked. What? A vanishing <laughs> town, you say? Don't tell me we're throwing it back. We are truly throwing it back. That is what we call a callback in the biz. Another <laughs> episode that absolutely wrecked you. <laughs> truly. And finally, <laughs> Naomi's Authentic SoCal Cuisine. Which, let me read the description. Are you craving that Southern California Latin cuisine? Stopping by Naomi's Authentic SoCal Cuisine is a lot more cost-effective than booking that flight out west. And I'm obsessed with this. They're not wrong. I'm obsessed with it just because, one, the idea that anything in SoCal is uh, authentic is... Right. Brilliant. Uh... If, if you don't think SoCal is just moderate bigotry and elitism, you're wrong. But I also just love that it's like authentic SoCal Latin cuisine, which there have been a lot of different types of food that have sprung up in Southern California, but it's all just like people immigrating from Mexico and Latin countries and like just bringing their culture with them. It's not it's, inherently it's, it's in SoCal. No SoCal yeah. food. Yeah. But anyways. Not I to would do completely dog this business. No, no, I'm no. I'm sure no. it's delicious. I would love to go there and I want to see what the food is like. I just, it's fucking crazy to me that there's another place in this country that's just like, what if we just made Southern California food? <laughs> anyways. Blair, we've been to a lot of places that you and I love. We've been on train yards. We've been to grist mills. I don't think we've been to a cave yet, though. Oh, we have not been to a cave, other than visiting our, our good old friend Black Anus. <laughs> true, 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 true. But we are going to Merrimack Cave, near Merrimack River, aka the largest cave west of the Mississippi. And you got, you know, you got those stalactites and stalagmites out the wazoo, and that's just the beginning you can get a tour of the cave, and within the cavern, there's also a restaurant and a candy shop. And a, a gift shop. A restaurant in a cave? That sounds cool. Hell yeah. And you know they've got a setup for you to pan for gold. And you might also consider going to the Jesse James Wax Museum. In the same area, you can do a zip line over the Merrimack River and surrounding forest, or climb a 40-foot rock wall. You, you can also take a guided or non-guided tour of the river in kayaks, rafts, or canoes. All floats end at the cavern, so you can get off a boat and run right into that cave. <laughs> I would say a root and toot in time for all. Something for everyone. Classic American thoroughfare, Route 66, cuts right through Missouri. And did you know that it actually received its name at a christening in Springfield, Missouri? Is that right? Hell yes it is. The funnest of facts. The, just, an, just an almost egregiously fun fact. Thus, if you're so inclined, you can check out the Route 66 Museum located in Lebanon, Missouri. From their website, 
Take a self-guided tour of this museum, which features recreations of a 1950s gas station and a classic diner, along oh, with cool. I, I, I'm all about this. Along with displays of antique cars, a collection of Route 66 books, magazines, and videos. But if you also want to find out more about Route 66, you can go to the History Museum on the Square in Springfield. If you choose to drive down Route 66, you'll come across any number of authentic American roadside eateries and uh, kooky attractions, such as the world's largest rocking chair, <laughs> which is uh, located near Cuba, Missouri, and uh, working recreations of a 1930s gas station. What? I know. I think I think you can get gas from a gosh dang pastime gas station. So damn kitschy. Get yourself so some damn jacket and get yourself some no man puppy gas. We're fully leaving our sanity behind in this episode. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, I never came here with it. Mm, fair enough. But if we're choosing to head over to Springfield, we might consider another attraction which is a bit more chilling. Pythian Castle is a quote-unquote certified haunted castle. It's truly astounding how many quote-unquote castles there are in the United States. Because yeah, I feel talked like about this. We've talked about quite a few at this point. And at one point we were like, there are no castles here. <laughs> we were wrong. Put our heads in our own asses. But surprisingly, this castle was purportedly built as an orphanage in 1913 by the Knights of Pythias, which is some sort of fraternal secret society and whatever. Um, <laughs> there's no real indicator as to what may haunt the house, except that it was an orphanage and like low-key held prisoners during World War II, but they sure do offer ghost hunts as well as history tours and murder mystery dinner parties. But I think what we'd have the most fun with is the escape room they offer where you have to escape the castle itself. The whole castle? The whole castle. Shut your damn mouth. To read their description, it is the height of the war. Risk has elevated, forcing you and your fellow officers to move to a more secure location in the lower level of the castle. You have 60 minutes to determine your next move, hopefully before the situation changes to severe risk. Oh, I'm scared! And there's also like a different uh, escape room that you can pair with a dinner party, I believe, which has a different storyline. And I really need to read the description of this, which is just prohibition themed clue adventure game. Groups work in teams to solve all the puzzles. Upon completion, discover if gangster or police. I'm always I'm always trying to discover if gangster or police. Gangster cops and that's it's like a cops and robbers on crack. Inwardly and outwardly. And if we didn't get enough of the haunts at the Pythian Castle, we will head our little tushes on over to St. Louis to the Lemp Mansion. Which oh, TBH yes offers a lot of the same things as the Pythian Castle, minus the escape room, but plus the ability to spend the night there. Life magazine in 1980 called this one of America's nine most haunted houses. 
So, you know, some 40-year-old accreditation there. No, I've, I've seen the Lint Mansion on uh, Travel Channel, so... Oh, hell yeah, did, okay. I think I, I think Ghost Adventures went there, um, and I think I've seen some other programs that had it as well. Yeah, so it was home to a family who owned a very successful brewery business. Over time, the business kind of failed, I think largely because of Prohibition. And then they suffered uh, several personal tragedies. Uh, three members of the family died by suicide in the house over the course of like 45 years, with one additional death in the family, but not in the house, being disputed as uh, to whether it was a death by suicide or a murder covered up. Oh. I can't get into it now, but I think it honestly could probably be its own episode, but I don't feel like I can move past Missouri without mentioning the Missouri State Penitentiary, which mm. is apparently hippin' and happening with all the ghosties. I Google searched uh, Missouri Haunted and it auto-filled in prison. Uh, so, you know, Yikes. if that's any indication for how fucking haunted this place is, I think we'll come back to it, but just as a teaser, Time Magazine called it the bloodiest 47 acres in America. And Boy, howdy. Yeah, and there's some pretty bloody acres across this goddamn nation. And just know they offer a fucking range of ghost tours from two hours up to an eight-hour overnight investigation. Yikes. They're on I don't know about that. Real shit. But we're off to brighter pastures. We're in St. Louis. We gotta check out the Gateway to the West, a.k.a the Gateway Arch, which overlooks beautiful, beautiful St. Louis, and is purportedly situated on the spot where St. Louis was founded. Wow! You can take a tram up to the top of this 630-foot-tall arch, which is also 630 feet wide. Another fucking super fun fact. I didn't know you uh, could go up top of it. Yeah, and you take a, like, I think there's a tram built into it that goes up, which scares me, honestly. I don't know about that. Now, the arch was built in memoriam of uh, Western expansion, and it's the tallest memorial in the United States. But, as we know, the reality of the atrocities of Westward expansion are lying just underneath the nostalgic presentation in history books as a time of pioneering uh, into quote-unquote wilderness. But thankfully, from poking around websites regarding the Archway Museum, which, which sits right under the arch, it does seem like the uh, indigenous American perspective is represented to some degree. To what degree? I'm not sure. If you swing by the museum and you're trying to make a day of seeing the arch, you can also consider exploring the Gateway National Park, which has places for you to relax, as well as walking and biking trails you can take advantage of. Or we could just take a gosh dang riverboat cruise. Oh. I, you know, I fuck with a riverboat or two. I like those as well. The only kind of cruise I would go on. Uh, hard agree on that. And they've got different types of specialty cruises, like, you know, you could do a booze cruise if you wanted to. And if we're feeling like it, maybe we'll take a tour of the old courthouse built in 1839, which is just fucking gorgeous. So many things to do in this area, so much history. But Blair, we've done a lot. We've mm -hmm. seen a lot. 
We've suffered, maybe. Yeah, we've suffered a good deal, too. And I think what we're craving right now is dinner. Yeah. And maybe a show? Oh. Blair, All right. we're going... There are a lot of places we have to go on this podcast, but certainly in the top ten, I would place... Dolly Parton's Stampede Dinner Attraction. Oh, oh, yes! The Stampede. Take us there. From the website, the Stampede's 32 horses and cast of top-notch riders will thrill you with daring feats of trick riding and competition. Experience the Stampede of the Buffalo, hilarious racing pigs, fan-favorite competitions, and a grand patriotic finale of red, white, and blue. All oh my of God. This, all of this pageantry is proudly served with a fabulous four-course feast. Owner Dolly Parton guarantees the Stampede is Branson's most fun place to eat. If Miss Dolly is recommending it, I'm I'm there. And also, I think recently it, they had the they had Dixie in the name, and and she had it removed because of the current connotation. Hell yeah! Fucking love Dolly. I would fucking follow Dolly Parton to the end of the earth, and honestly, Dolly for president. Fuck yeah. I think that's a that's a, a politician we could all get behind. Mm-hmm. Dolly, Dolly to heal the nation. Um, <laughs> so on the Missouri, oh, sorry. so on the Visit Missouri website, they have a kind of spokesperson. As we said before, the uh, abbreviated initials of the state are MO, mm-hmm. and they have this spokesperson who's a beautiful woman named Mo, and their tagline is something like. There's always a mo for your mo, and it shows wow. her. It shows her doing a bunch of different activities, and truly, that's what Missouri feels like. You've got nearly everything you want wrapped up in a. I wrote little bundle, but it's a pretty big state, and I can't wait to go and experience a lot of these things. But certainly not the Union Screaming House, Blair. Yeah. Thank you for this being here. This was a long here. one. <laughs> yes. Thank you for doing all that research. That was incredible. I I am gobsmacked. I really want to read Stephen's books now. So yeah, uh, if you guys are interested in reading more, you can go... I think it, his website is just stephenlachance.com. Stephen is with a V. An extra special thank you again to our listener, Whitney Wegman-Wood, World Wide Web, our good friend, mm-hmm. for giving us this suggestion. You, you, you fucked Eric up for real. And yeah. It's always fun when that happens. I mean, if we ever meet in real life, I'll try to be friendly, but in my heart, I'll know that you've done me a deep personal wrong. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, just kidding. I won't be like that. But... Um, Thank you, listeners, for listening. If you have any suggestions for different stories or places we should cover, let us know. Or if there's any hauntings in Missouri you think we should cover, definitely let us know that as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, send us a DM. You can find us on Instagram at Terror and Travel Show. Um, you can f- listen to us on pretty much all platforms, I think. Uh, be sure to leave us a-, a review, rate us, and tell your friends. We want to grow our show. But for now, stay spooky. Stay alive. Try not to die. Stay away from the Union House. Definitely that. And we love you. Love you. Bye-bye-bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Bye.